0: live from radio catskill studios in liberty new york this is the local edition i'm your host Jason Dole. thank you so much for being here with me tonight coming up when to go to urgent care or when to go to the emergency room we check in with garnet health to get some clarification Plus, we have the latest news from The River Reporter. Ruby Rainer joins us live in just a moment. But first, we have the latest from Albany and the latest on the redistricting efforts. New York State Legislature today finalized new congressional lines for the 2024 races, clearing the way for petitioning for the June primaries that started yesterday. Karen DeWitt has more.
1: With little debate, the lines drawn by Democrats who lead both the Senate and Assembly were approved, with a handful of Republican minority party lawmakers also voting yes. Announce the results. Ayes 115, noes 33. The bill is passed. The vote comes two days after Democrats rejected district lines recommended by a bipartisan redistricting commission. Republicans accuse Democrats of ignoring the state's Constitution. It requires the commission, known as the Independent Redistricting Commission, or IRC, to draw the maps. But Democratic Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says the Constitution also allows lawmakers to alter the maps if they believe they need to.
2: I think that sometimes even the media forgets that the legislature still has a role. We don't have to just pass whatever the IRC passed doesn't mean that whatever the IRC passed means it's it's perfect and would not have been open to a lawsuit on its own. And so I would hope that people forget that the Constitution does leave it with the legislature to make the final say on lines.
1: The revised lines are marginally more favorable to some Democratic incumbents and could present a slightly tougher challenge to some Republican Congress members who are seeking reelection. Governor Kathy Hochul, who issued a message of necessity to accelerate the voting, says she intends to expedite her review of the maps before deciding whether to sign the legislation. But she says she won't be drawn into the political arguments surrounding the lines. But as with every bill, I look at it when it's completed, I make my determination, and I'm not going to pass judgment on the process thus far. I've heard from a lot of people that it is an improvement from the point of view of one party and others... Uh, I'm not here to weigh in on the on the political dynamic involved here. I've said I will not. Legal challenges to the new congressional district lines were anticipated, but so far no Republicans have said they intend to file a lawsuit.
0: We have additional reporting on this because when Democrats in the legislature approved these new congressional district lines, they also okayed legislation to limit the practice of judge shopping. When someone wants to file suit in a redistricting challenge, Republicans who are in the minority party say the measure is retribution for their successful suit that resulted in the 2022 congressional lines drawn by Democrats being struck down. Again, here's Karen DeWitt.
1: The bill, approved in both houses, limits any future legal challenges to district lines drawn by the legislature in the future to just four counties. They are Albany, Erie, New York County, which encompasses Manhattan, and Westchester. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty says the counties are all seats of the state's judicial departments and they may have more expertise to draw on to hear the cases.
2: We just feel that those are the four jurisdictions that are best equipped to handle these
3: type of uh, cases.
1: All of those counties are dominated by Democrats, including the Supreme Court judges who preside there. Republican Assembly Minority Leader Pro Tem Andy Goodell during debate accused Democrats of changing the rules because they law a major court battle on redistricting to the Republicans in 2022. So
4: this bill says if you want to stand up for the Constitution of the state of New York, you can only do it in four counties. How is that consistent with our oath of office? Are we afraid of allowing the courts to easily consider a constitutional challenge? Are we afraid because... The last time they looked at it, they ruled it was unconstitutional.
1: Republicans filed a challenge in Stuben County, a rural region dominated by GOP lawmakers and judges. That lawsuit eventually led to the Democratic-drawn lines being thrown out by the state's highest court, who said they were unconstitutionally gerrymandered. The lines were redrawn by a court-appointed special master and are believed to have contributed to Democrats losing four seats to Republicans that year, helping the GOP gain control of the House. Assembly sponsor Bill Magnarelli says the change is not about political parties, but is instead about streamlining the process. He says the state already imposes those limits on election law challenges. Magnarelli says it would also prevent anyone from taking advantage by filing a lawsuit where they believe a judge may be more sympathetic to their cause.
0: This is a way to curtail shopping for a judge. Here you wouldn't be able to do that. You go to a certain uh, place, you know where to go, and the administrative law judge would then pick the judge that has to preside over that case.
1: But GOP Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh says the bill actually does the opposite of that.
3: Well, with all due respect, it appears that this bill is doing the shopping for us. This bill is, uh, is choosing those four counties where you're going to be drawing from.
1: The measure next goes to Governor Kathy Hochul, who can sign or veto it. Hokal spokesman Avi Small in a statement just before the vote was taken said only that the governor will review the legislation if it passes both houses. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network.
0: Thank you Karen for that reporting and here's a what, here's a look at what would be changed in our local congressional districts, in our listening area on the New York side, or listening area, if the maps that are signed in law by, if the maps are signed in law by Governor Hochul, and this is according to Politico, the bipartisan commission had initially split Orange County, moving a portion of it from Representative Pat Ryan's district to the nearby one held by Republican Representative Mark Molinaro. The legislature's lines uh, that they they voted on today keeps Orange County entirely in Ryan's district. Most of the other changes aren't different from the lines that were used in 2022. Most of the other changes in Ryan's district would involve swapping towns in Ulster County with Molinaro's seat. Ryan's seat would lose the blue-friendly towns of Marble Town and Rosendale and gain the blue-trending Saugerties and the deep-blue Woodstock. Molinaro would gain the Republican-friendly town of Schwangunk and gain the Republican-friendly town of Ulster. So, uh, in with Molinaro's district, uh, that's the one that underwent the most significant changes, but even those don't dramatically change the electoral math. In addition to the swaps with Ryan and Ulster County, Molinaro's district would drop Tioga County and parts of Cortland County to districts to his west, and would pick up parts of Rensselaer and Otsego counties from Representative Elise Stefanik. Yet, even after all of those swaps and changes, Politico says the numbers are basically the same. Uh Molinaro won in 2022 in a 52.3% Biden district. And with these changes, it would be a 52.2% Biden district. And that's a change of a tenth of a percentage. And again, that according to Politico. So... That's the latest on the redistricting, and we will be following this and all the beats of this election this year. It's an election year. It's a big election year. It's not just the presidential election. Uh It's also the congressional elections and uh some local elections as well. We're going to be covering it all for you right here on Radio Catskill. And to help us cover all of the news, of course, we have our our news partners, our reporters on the ground. And on Wednesday, we check in with our reporter from The River Reporter. It's Ruby Rayner joining us live on the phone right now. Ruby, how are you doing?
2: Good. Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here with us. So uh, we got a few things we want to talk about tonight, but let's start with uh, the town of Highland's uh, most recent board meeting. Can you tell me when that board meeting was and give give me a, like a, th- a thumbnail overview of what you're seeing there?
2: Yeah, definitely. So... Um, Last week, there was a nearly three-hour-long board meeting and then plus another special board meeting um, last last Friday. And that was mostly all uh, members who are new to the town board, almost completely, with the exception of, of one board member, Caitlin Haas. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion around um, planning board appointments, And town hall personnel reorganization and some kind of finding finding their footing with the new board.
0: Yeah. And just as a reminder to the listener, like there's a a bit of a long story of recent history of uh, political divisions in the town Highland capped off by major political changes following November's election, and now in January, uh, this new board and other officials taking seat. So let's, let's dive into this. First off, there's a, the clerk reassignment, which uh, became, I guess, a clerk resigning. Is that, is that correct?
2: Uh, almost. Um, yeah, so during, during the meeting, um, one clerk who worked in the enforcement office was moved to completely work in the clerk's office. Um, which came as a, quote, very big surprise and very bad surprise to um, Alice, the the clerk who was being moved, who um, heard about this news at the meeting. And both the supervisor um, and board member Burrell said that they were very sorry that if she was blindsided by this announcement, but that their, you know, intention in moving was to really add more support to the clerk's office. There was a couple of different times, Um, in the meeting where there was some disagreement between board members um, and minutes needed to be checked, but the minutes do not yet exist um, because of um, extra support that's needed in the clerk's office to produce that. So that was kind of the the story there, and it does leave um, a hole in the enforcement office, which they've posted um, a new job there.
0: But the, these were two code enforcement clerks that were essentially reassigned over to the the main clerk's, uh, the town clerk's office. Um, did did one or two of them resign then?
2: One was moved and um, one gave notice to the supervisor that the other, so there's only two in, in total. One got moved and one gave notice that she intends to resign. And a lot of the last I spoke to him about the clerk um, last week on Thursday said that he had not yet received um, her formal resignation, but that she had um, let him know that she intended to
0: resign. And this isn't the only issue that involves uh, code enforcement because there's also uh, this engineering company called Fusco that was involved with code enforcement. What are the changes there?
2: Yeah. So another another thing here is that Fusco is just, it's this contracting Uh, they have a contract with the town to provide code enforcement for the town. Um, And they had a motion to renew their contract, um, and there was some dissent. Um, Board member Haas, who's the only one who was on the previous board, said that it was not the intention of the previous board to renew their contract and that they had reservations. Um, And this was news to a lot of the board members. They thought that they were going to seamlessly... Um, renew the contract um, and get, you know, these are their code enforcement services provided for the town. So without that, they would need to find a completely new code code enforcer or code enforcement consulting service. So um, they decided and agreed upon a month-to-month contract while they re- reanalyze who is providing code enforcement for the town. Um, and during this kind of back and forth, there was some talk about how, uh, in particular, Jim Act, one of the board members, you know, said that B.J. Gettle, who was the previous code enforcement officer who was under contract with Klusko, um was fired. And, and Pizzolatto said no, that that's not so, that she was just moved. So there was definitely, there's been a lot of turnover in that office.
0: And uh, just just to go back to the initial thing you said there, it sounds like you're saying that they, they don't have a permanent uh, solution to what's going on with code enforcement, but they have a plan in place for the interim. Yep.
2: They moved to sign a month-to-month contract with El Fusco um, to provide the code enforcement services as they reevaluate what they want as a more permanent, more comprehensive solution for the code enforcement office. Um, so right now, the code enforcement office is a little, uh, you know little sparse without uh, the usual clerks there and um, without necessarily a
0: plan of longevity, but I think that's the
2: intention of the board is to get something that's more permanent in place.
0: Okay, now on to the, the planning board. Uh, what were the changes there and what potential impacts might they have to future projects in the town island?
2: Yeah. so um, on the planning board, which is um, their appointed positions, the um, chairperson of the planning board previously, Norm Sutherland, um, he his term was up, and that means that the town board has the ability to appoint somebody, and they chose not to reappoint Norm Sutherland, but to appoint Jeff Spitz. The reason that um, Supervisor Pizzolatto gave for not reappointing Norm Sutherland, who has been working very hard on two of the very large projects in the town, Camp Finfo, and um, he's, there's, you know, he said he's spent many hours, that's from him, um, volunteer hours, Camp Finfo and 211 Mill Road. Um, that, but the reason that Pizzolatto gave was that he hasn't been able to get in contact with um, Sutherland. He won't answer his calls and he won't work with him, and he really feels that he needs to have a chairperson of the planning board, especially with these big projects that he can work with. And Sutherland says that he really doesn't want to speak with Pizzolatto because of um, ongoing violations with one of Pizzolatto's businesses, the Berryville Oasis, which is a conflict of interest because it's the planning board who, um, you know, deals and then passes that along to the code enforcement office. So there's definitely some back and forth there. But as it stands, Jeff Spitz is the chairperson of the planning board and, will be taking on those incoming ongoing large projects.
0: And you were able to talk to Sutherland and along those lines, uh, you know, as he uh, outlined some of the disagreements there of of how things got to this place, uh, though your article does conclude with him saying that he thinks that Spitz will do a good job Which uh, leads to my next question, given all of these uh, uh, false footing, false starts, uh, tricky things, controversies, even animosities going on in the town of Highland. uh, How did this meeting or this series of meetings end? Where is the town at the end of this, and what happens next?
2: Well, there's there's a new chairperson of the planning board, Jeff Spitz, who's previously on the board. And everyone's in agreement on kind of all sides that... Uh, he will do a good job, um, but they are looking at some very big projects that we've talked about, Campus Info and, and 211 Mill Road. Um, I'm going to be looking into some of these um, violations um, with the business that Johnny Co. owns just to make sure that everything there, uh, we understand what's going on, that the planning board understands uh, what they think is. The the violations and where they currently stand. I want to be able to let people know about that, um, and hopefully there'll be a new new clerk hired soon. And you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on.
0: <laughs> hey, there's so much going on. In fact, you're talking to me about this now, and then when we're done talking, you got to go dive right back into Town Highland meetings, huh?
2: Yes, I'm I'm going to the planning board meeting, so I'm actually late, but I'll you know I'll I'll go after. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, I, I appreciate you uh, uh, giving uh, giving us your time in this way. Let's uh, hit these other two stories uh, that we wanted to talk about. Tell me about the Damascus solar project, if you could. Just describe a little bit of the background on this, and then what are the legal challenges that it now faces?
2: Yeah, so a uh, solar ray in Damascus with enough power for like a thousand homes filed um, in court. After the Damascus Township rejected their um, initial application, so this is Tyler Hill is the solar company, and the um, code enforcement officer Ed Langreen, said that they he did not the Tyler Hill did not complete the application in accordance to the code enforcement office, so you know they couldn't the application wasn't able to be reviewed, which is what led to the denial. He said there's. L- six or more items were left blank, um, letters from the power company acknowledging the upcoming project weren't included, and um, stormwater management plans weren't, which are really important for, for um, required for kind of runoff management, erosion, sediment. Um, so they're, they're welcome to resubmit the application for, like, reapply for the town's um, approval, and they ask that they do it in a full reapplication rather than in, in little parts, like then resubmitting the stormwater management plan and then resubmitting the letters from the power company, but to just fully reapply.
0: If you're going to do it, do it all at once and make sure everything's in there. That's what they're saying? Yes. Yes. So what do you think will happen? Are they going to resubmit? Is this the end of the project or is this just a, a delay?
2: Um, it. I think it depends what the the solar company did file um, in court after they rejected their application. So we'll see what what the court rules in terms of that. But they will seemingly, according to the, the code enforcement, too, like they will need to reapply with this information in order for the town to review the project properly.
0: Okay, great. And um, with with just the last two minutes that we have here, I want to talk about the fact that uh, you know, the Capitol riot on January 6th in Washington, D.C. in 2021 uh, to try to uh, keep somebody in the highest elected office of the land against the will of the American people, um, that there's still people being arrested in our region for this, including two brothers uh, from Stroudsburg in Pennsylvania. Can you tell me uh, about uh, these brothers quick? And they were arrested recently.
2: Yeah, so they were actually identified through open source video, which is why it kind of is, you know, coming a little bit after maybe other people in the area who have been identified and arrested. Um and a statement of facts was made by a Pennsylvania trooper assigned to the FBI terrorism task force, which is how the um identification and then the following arrest was made. And, you know, this is there's been a one thousand three hundred and thirteen people who have been charged in total. So they're just, you know, Two more, but Anthony and, I'm sorry, Andrew and Matthew Valentin um, were both identified in these videos uh, with um, stealing a baton from a U.S. Capitol police officer and pushing also a bike rack barricade as well as uh, grabbing a U.S. Capitol police officer. So those were some of the different actions uh, caught on the open source video used to identify these two.
0: Any comment from the brothers, their representatives or their family?
2: No, not
0: not as, not as of yet. Okay. Well, I thank you for bringing us all this news and these headlines, and I wish you luck uh, as you move on to your next uh, reporting meeting, which is going to happen pretty soon. Uh, Ruby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Of course, uh, the latest edition of The River Reporter, the print edition, comes out tomorrow. These articles we were talking about are already up at the River Reporter's website. And Ruby Rainer joins us every Wednesday evening. This is Radio Catskill.
4: You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
1: Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor Lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. This is The Local Edition.
0: I'm your host, Jason Dole. In the winter season, there's often an increase in illnesses like coughs, colds, fevers, wheezings, stomach and headaches and that's on top of injuries due to icy conditions, slips, and falls. When faced with these health issues, folks often just head straight to the emergency department. However, health care needs can often be addressed at an urgent care center. But when do you decide to go to an emergency department or an urgent care center? That's why Patricio Robbio spoke to Dr. Rina Patel, medical director for Garnet Health Urgent Care.
4: Dr. Rina Patel, Medical Director for Garnett Health Urgent Care. Welcome to the program. So this is a question I have personally because I always, with a young child, wondering when I should go to the ER, when I should go to the urgent care. So let's talk about what are the key differences between the types of the care provided at emergency room and at an urgent care facility?
3: That's a great question. Hi, and thank you for having me. ERs are usually for potentially life-threatening illnesses, exactly what you would think, an emergent or emergency type scenario, and conditions that need treatment immediately, right away, that are more moderate to severe. Urgent cares are usually for non-life-threatening illnesses that are not necessarily emergent care. They need care, but not right away. It's not life-threatening. Urgent care clinics are same-day clinics that handle a variety of medical problems that need to be treated, but exactly, they're not a true emergency type of scenario.
4: So if you give me some examples on um, when someone should choose the emergency room over the urgent care, if you want to give a... I'll, I'll give you an example of someone who has a peanut allergy and all of a sudden they're seeing a, a reaction. Um, should they go to the urgent care or should they go to the emergency room?
3: That's a great question. And actually, the answer is not always super simple because you can have varying types of reactions to a peanut allergy. If it's life-threatening and you found yourself having to use your EpiPen, we would recommend you go to the emergency room. If you're having difficulty breathing or you cannot breathe, emergency room. If you're having any type of mild reaction that could be like a rash or Things are getting started and you feel like you may have time and milder symptoms. You can present to an, to an urgent care. But if it's life threatening with the peanut reaction, then it's going to be the emergency room for sure. Specifically, when we talk about the emergency room, we're thinking about things where cardiac type chest pain, severe onset abdominal issues, someone's not breathing or they're changing color because they're having difficulty breathing or not breathing. They injured a bone and the bone may be sticking out of their skin, uncontrollable bleeding, seizures, severe burns and severe cuts, things like that.
4: Right. So so, so what are some conditions that be treated at an urgent care facility? Let's like say, you know, like you have an ongoing cough that has not going away. You have the sniffles or there's a lot of drainage coming out from your nose. I'm assuming maybe those are some of the symptoms that would warrant a visit to the urgent care versus a visit to the emergency room.
3: You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Something that has been going on maybe for a little bit and is stable, definitely your coughs, your congestion, your sinus issues, your sore throats. But along with that, also minor falls, cuts, scrapes, earaches as well, fevers, minor burns even we can see in the urgent care, muscular aches and pains we see, we'll see rashes. And of course, you can't forget right now, COVID flu and RSV. A lot of that.
4: I recently had a visit to the urgent care with my daughter. Um, and the first thing they do, this test is for RSV, COVID, and the flu.
3: I hope you had a good visit.
4: We, had, we did. Thankfully, everything came back negative. So so I want to, because this is, I'm curious about how choosing an ER and urgent care impact the, the patient outcomes and definitely the healthcare costs, because those are really two different costs there when you visit the ER versus the urgent care
3: yeah typically the urgent care is going to be more cost effective when we compare it to the er and it's used appropriately of course also non emergent concerns that report to the er is will attribute to longer wait times and crowded waiting rooms and of course a, a potentially larger bill for the patient as urgent cares we help free up waiting rooms in the er for more serious cases
4: so If someone is at home deciding maybe whether she goes to the ER, whether she goes to the emergency room, what advice do you have for someone who's uncertain about where to seek care for their medical issue?
3: This is a great question. You always want to reach out to your primary care provider or their office first for some advice if time permits. If you cannot get in contact with them, you can call another medical office or provider that you you have a relationship with. You can call the urgent care where you are trying to go. But if you cannot reach anybody, you just go with your gut. Don't delay.
4: Now you're the medical director for Garnet Health Urgent Care. What are some of the common misconceptions that about urgent care centers and emergency rooms that you think might need clarification?
3: I think one important thing is not all urgent cares are created equal. There are things that one urgent care may do that another urgent care may not do. So you really want to specifically whatever location you're going to, you may want to pull up their website. Or give them a call ahead of time if you are looking for something specific or want to know if a service is provided. The other thing about emergency rooms, which I think is important, is they're not first-come, 1st serve basis. I hear this a lot from patients. They're based on acuity. So if you have a lower acuity complaint that could have been better suited for the urgent care, you may wait a very long time for people coming in after you that need to be seen first. Another important thing to say is urgent cares are not a replacement for your primary care doctor. They We are a great resource when you can't get in with your regular doctor, but we shouldn't replace your regular doctor.
4: Dr. Patel, uh, before we go, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want folks to know about?
3: Um, I think the last few things are the most important, to be honest. But if you're ever in doubt, I think calling and just asking the questions are the most important And if it's after hours and you're very concerned, of course, the emergency room is always going to be there. But if it is something that can wait, the urgent care is always there for you.
4: We were talking to Dr. Patel, Medical Director for Garnet Health Urgent Care, letting us know when to go to the emergency room and when to go to urgent care. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining us on the program.
3: Thank you so much. Have a nice day.
4: In Liberty, I'm Patricio Robayo for Radio Catskill
0: thank you patricio and thank you for listening do keep listening to us on air and always live streaming at wjffradio.org this has been the local edition i've been your host jason dole and uh, i'll be back tomorrow evening we'll do it again six o'clock before that 10 a.m tomorrow tim bruno's in with chatskill Daily's up next this is radio catskill